There is a phrase that gets used a lot when talking about the American dream. It's a phrase that captures the idea that anyone can rise up and make their own fortune. And it's a phrase that has a precise and surprising origin story. It starts back in 1834 with an inventor from Nashville, Tennessee. Nimrod Murphy. Yep, Nimrod Murphy. I love that name. <laughs> that voice you're hearing is Ben Zimmer, whose entire job is to explore the history of idioms and other oddities of English. He's the language columnist for the Wall Street Journal, and he helped us trace our story back to this Nimrod fellow, who bought a pretty audacious advertisement in his local newspaper, the Nashville Banner. It said, To all nations, languages, and people, greeting, know ye that I, Nimrod Murphy, of the city of Nashville and state of Tennessee, have discovered perpetual motion. Of course, Nimrod Murphy had not actually achieved perpetual motion. But he was an inventor. He actually won some patents on agricultural devices. And he clearly had a knack for getting attention for his ideas. In fact, that little ad in the paper, it attracted plenty of notice across the country, according to Ben Zimmer. It did the 19th century equivalent of going viral, getting mentioned in other local newspapers around the country. And just as people might share something today so they can make fun of it on Facebook, people who picked up on this ad threw in their own commentary. It was a newspaper in Mobile, Alabama, that used a version of the phrase that would become so embedded in the idea of American opportunity. We clipped the above from the last number of the Nashville banner. Probably Mr. Murphy has succeeded in handing himself over the Cumberland River or a barnyard fence by the straps of his boots. It was one of the first times in print that someone was described as pulling himself up by his own bootstraps. And it was intended as an insult. And the idea of perpetual motion, you know, is about as, as ridiculous as that. I mean, basically, they were, they were making fun of this idea. Hello, and welcome to the EdSurge podcast, where each week we look at how education is changing. I'm Jeff Young, a reporter and the managing editor of EdSurge, an award-winning nonprofit newsroom. This is the first of a six-episode series called Bootstraps that we're co-producing with our friends at the journalism nonprofit Open Campus. We'll be unpacking popular narratives about who gets what opportunities in America and wondering how it could all be different. We're starting back in the 1830s, but we'll use what we learned there to try to understand the origins of some very current debates on issues like who gets to go to elite public schools, whether colleges should use the SAT in admissions, and whether grades are the best way to measure student learning. So what is fascinating about this idea of bootstraps is that it's synonymous with the idea of the American dream. And yet, as Ben Zimmer points out... It's the type of idiom that, if you think about it, doesn't seem to make any sense. How would you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps? How would that even be physically possible? It doesn't seem possible, and yet we use it as just this is a thing that people do, you know, as a, as a way to advance or get ahead. Tough people pull themselves up by the bootstraps. So before we can get into this metaphor of bootstraps and pulling yourself up by them, we first have to talk about actual boots and why Americans thought so much about them in the 1800s. So I called up someone who is steeped in just that kind of thing. 
Uh, my name is Michael Anthony Karnaki. I um, am a bootmaker by trade. I'm located in Sebastopol, California. First, I ask this bootmaker to help us understand what this phrase might have meant. And he pointed out something I really had not considered, that boots, especially back then, were very hard to get on and off. That's why these straps are so important. You know, if it's not difficult to get on, then once it's on, it's a little sloppy. He actually collects newspaper clippings of of vintage ads related to boots from the time, and a huge number of them are for devices for helping extract these shoes from people's legs. He described one of these ads to me. Um, so it's got a, he's leaning on, the, on his back on a bench and he's got his legs all the way up into, into sticking into the air. He's got his fingers in his boot straps and he's got this groaning look on his face trying to pull his boot on. Uh, and he says, uh, down below, it says, you can't win. By the time a man gets his boots on, he's too tired to walk. <laughs> so it's no accident that a newspaper in Mobile, Alabama, was making fun of an inventor with a joke about bootstraps. Bootstraps were on the minds of Americans, even presidents. For instance, like Abraham Lincoln's boots were very, very hard to get on and off. And, you know, there's many references that are made throughout history of Lincoln and his boots and being difficult to get on, like taking him off one time before a speech and his feet were too swollen to get him back on, so he gave a speech in his bare feet, you know, or his socked feet. So uh, it was actually from a balcony, so nobody was able to see that he wasn't wearing any boots. Yep, it turns out Abraham Lincoln, the quintessential self-made American, was not able to pull himself up by his bootstraps, or at least to literally pull on his own boots. Anthony's research shows that Lincoln typically had help from servants to get his boots on. How then did this idiom change to come to mean pretty much the opposite? Something happened in the early 20th century um, and it's it's unclear exactly how that transformation happened. But you can just see that there's a, a certain turn from talking about pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, changing from being something that's utterly ridiculous to something that you could actually att- attain. So we don't know exactly when this shift in the phrase's meaning occurred, from an obvious absurdity to an aspiration. But it might have had something to do with the unique opportunities presented by the American frontier. But there was just this idea that you could be anything, that you could, you could move to the West and uh, get swathes of land and build on it. That's Alyssa Court, an author who is working on a book about the notion of bootstrapping. These, this language about self-invention was part of the kind of American dream in the sense that uh, in England, everyone was supposedly right trapped in their class identity. Whereas in the new world, we could we could be whatever we wanted. We could make ourselves, and we could um, pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. And th- these things, these idioms, self-made man, p- pull yourself up by your bootstraps, became things congressmen and senators like to say. It was like a uh, part of political and uh, literary rhetoric to some extent. She's concerned about the dark edge that's baked into this idea that we're a country where anyone can and should just lean down and pull themselves up. Why have I not been able to do this is always the question, right? Like, why have I not been able to uh, rise in the ranks? Why have I not been able to get out of poverty? Um, I'm being told by everybody from, uh, you know, Horatio Alger to Reagan to even, you know, Bill Clinton that I should be able to uh, work for a living, not depend on um, welfare, or not not simply live in poverty. 
but it hasn't worked out for me. And so there's a lot of like self-hatred baked into this term and this construct. So what's interesting is how this phrase, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps, started as an obvious absurdity and then became an aspirational possibility, partly due to the unique opportunities afforded by this country. But let's face it, those opportunities were never equally available to all Americans. As Ben Zimmer told me, there is an interesting quotation from Martin Luther King Jr. That came from a television interview that he did in 1967, I think less than a year before he was killed. And he said, I believe we ought to do all we can. and Seek to lift ourselves by our own bootstraps. But uh, it's a cruel jest to say to a bootless man that he ought to lift himself by his own bootstraps. And many Negroes, by the thousands and millions, have been left bootless as a result of all of these years of oppression and as a result of a society that deliberately made his color a stigma and something worthless and degrading. It's worth going back and listening to King's entire answer that prompted this comment. Because it it gets back to Abe Lincoln and asked us to think about who got to reinvent themselves in the 1800s in America. America freed the slaves in 19... I mean, 1863, through the Emancipation Proclamation of Abraham Lincoln, but gave the slaves no land or nothing in reality, and as a matter of fact, to to get started on. At the same time, America was giving away millions of acres of land in the West and the Midwest, which meant that there was a willingness to give the white peasants from Europe an economic base. And yet it refused to give its black peasants from Africa who came here involuntarily in chains and had worked free for 244 years any kind of economic base. And so emancipation for the Negro was really freedom to hunger. It was freedom uh, to the winds and rains of heaven. It was freedom without food to eat or land to cultivate. And therefore it was freedom and famine at the same time. And when white Americans tell the Negro to lift himself by his own bootstraps, they don't, they don't look over the legacy of slavery and segregation. So this idiom, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, it's impossible in the literal sense. Outdated in the sense that most of us don't wear the kind of boots with straps. And even cruel in its implications of blaming those who are victims of oppression. Can this strong urge to believe everyone should be self-made be diminished? Well, Alyssa Court thinks those beliefs about self-reliance have cracked just a little bit due to the pandemic. Well, I think people are understanding that we depend on each other more. You know, bootstrapping is obviously like you don't depend on anyone. You can do even do this thing that's you can pull your boots up and um, pull yourself up. Uh, You don't even need a footrest. You can just do. um, But I think people understand you need supermarket workers during the pandemic. You need. Uh, Uber drivers, you need emergency medical workers, you need vast, you need a, there's a whole vast supply chain that you've probably never thought of that suddenly you're thinking about all the time. Who's cutting the meat? Who's bringing the trucks with the food? Who's, you know, clearing the garbage? And I think, you know, many of us in America lived before that, like we were all siloed and we weren't interconnected even when we were. Today, we're not lifting ourselves over a fence, and definitely not over the Cumberland River. But we are constantly telling ourselves stories about who deserves what, about who made it by themselves, about how a little more hard work 
will do the trick. And about how our education system addresses or fails to address those questions. I think the missing ingredient right now is narrative. It's easy to overlook, but as uh, James Truslow Adams said, who coined the term the American dream, without vision, people perish. He said, without vision, people perish. That's Todd Rose, a former Harvard professor who left higher education recently because he thinks it's not living up to its mission of being a driver of mobility. We'll hear more from him later in the series as we look at what a new narrative about opportunity in America could look like, which has a lot to do with our system of education, from schools to college and beyond. What is our vision for education? What are our values? Because we can pretend that values don't matter. Values are everything, right? And when you're not talking about your values, you're operating under someone else's values. So let's talk about what we want together. Let's debate those things. Those are healthy debates. We can do that. And then let's recognize that the obstacle to a great education system is not in our technology, it's not in our resources, it is in our will. So join us as we embark on this series of episodes over the course of the next couple months that look at how the myth of pulling yourself up has shaped our educational system. Next time, what a debate about the admission process at one of the best public high schools in the country says about who should get what in education. This has been the Ed Surge Podcast. This episode was the first of a six-episode series. We are producing this in partnership with the journalism nonprofit Open Campus. We're going to be putting out new installments about once a month of this series. But of course, until then, you can find regular episodes of the Ed Surge Podcast every week right on this feed. If you like the show, please take a minute to rate, review, or share. This episode was written and produced by me, Jeff Young, at J.R. Young on Twitter, with help from Scott Smallwood, Sarah Hebel, Rob McGinley-Myers, and Rebecca Koenig. Special thanks to all the experts who took the time to help us understand this history. Ben Zimmer, Alyssa Court, Todd Rose, and bootmaker Michael Anthony. The music featured in this episode includes Junk Man Rag, which was originally recorded on a wax cylinder, but now you can find it on the Internet Archive. We also sampled a few seconds of the song Tough People by Trace Atkins. That performance happened at a political rally, so we got it off C-SPAN. And the score for this episode is by Blue Dot Sessions. We'll be back next week with more on how education is changing. Thanks for listening.